envision this. You're seeing a 49-year-old man with type 2 diabetes that has come to your clinic for a follow-up. He's had diabetes for 15 years and does not strictly follow his insulin regimen. He explains, It's tough stopping for lunch and giving myself injections when work is busy, so sometimes I skip a dose or two. But I'm not worried. I check my blood sugar in the morning and it's always 200. His examination is within normal limits except for a blood pressure of 142 over 94 millimeters per mercury. His serum hemoglobin A1c is always elevated and his urine albumin to creatinine ratio is also elevated on his yearly urine studies. How might his poorly controlled diabetes affect his kidneys and how will you explain the importance of controlling his blood sugar? Welcome to Audio Bricks. This is Ed Barnes breaking down diabetic kidney disease, and he is. After completing this brick, you will be able to 1. Define diabetic kidney disease, also known as DKD, and discuss its epidemiology. 2. Describe the presentation of a patient with DKD. 3. Explain the pathophysiology of DKD. 4. Describe the diagnosis of DKD. And 5. Outline the management of DKD and how to slow its progression. Part 1. What is diabetic kidney disease? What is by far the most common reason patients in the U.S. start dialysis or receive a kidney transplant? That would be diabetic kidney disease, also known as DKD which is a microvascular complication of diabetes. DKD is a progressive chronic kidney disease seen in patients with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes mellitus. Its features include the appearance of abnormal amounts of albumin in the urine, or albuminuria, a decline in the glomerular filtration rate, also known as GFR, or both. It often presents as an asymptomatic proteinuria, which can worsen until it reaches nephrotic range, or the nephrotic syndrome, which is heavy proteinuria with edema and hypoalbuminemia and hyperlipidemia. This progression of proteinuria is seen in glomerular disease, often called diabetic nephropathy. But DKD can actually be characterized by several different renal lesions, including disease in the glomeruli, blood vessels, interstitium, or all three. Let's discuss the epidemiology associated with DKD. About 25-30% to 30 of patients with diabetes mellitus will develop diabetic kidney disease. Since about 10% of the U.S. population has diabetes mellitus, that means that 2-3% of the entire population, that's up to 10 million people, may have some level of diabetic kidney disease. That makes it the most common cause of chronic kidney disease by far. Since diabetes mellitus can affect all age groups, so can diabetic kidney disease. Patients with DKD comprise the largest group of patients with end-stage kidney disease, defined as loss of GFR necessitating renal replacement therapy like dialysis or transplantation. In the United States, over 280,000 patients with diabetic kidney disease require such treatment each year, incurring an annual cost of over $20 billion U.S. dollars. So this is a big deal. 
Let's pause for a quick quiz. Why would the appearance of albumin in the urine of a diabetic patient require prompt medical care? This patient likely has some form of diabetic kidney disease, which if left untreated may lead to end-stage renal disease requiring dialysis. Part 2. How do patients with diabetic kidney disease present? Diabetic kidney disease is a progressive disease often resulting from poor control of diabetes. As a result, patients may initially be asymptomatic for years. Many patients have their renal disease diagnosed by routine urine or blood testing as part of diabetic care. However, as the disease progresses, patients may develop worsening renal disease with edema and some may eventually progress to end-stage kidney disease, or ESKD, with uremic symptoms like itching, confusion, fatigue, and anorexia, an indication that they need dialysis or transplantation. The chance of these severe complications increase if care is irregular or if glucose control is poor, but they can occur even with optimal management of diabetes. The kidney function, as indicated by the serum creatinine concentration, or estimated GFR, also known as eGFR, is variable. Patients can present early with decreased GFR, but more often, GFR is normal until later stages of the disease. When will patients present in the course of their diabetic disease? As noted above, DKD can occur in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes, while patients with type 1 diabetes generally need 5 years or more of diabetes to start showing renal disease, kidney disease can occur much sooner after the diagnosis in individuals with type 2 diabetes. This is likely due to the difference in presentation of the two forms of diabetes. Type 1 presents abruptly with an episode of ketoacidosis, and its onset date can be established with precision. In contrast, many type 2 patients have likely had unrecognized hyperglycemia for years before symptoms finally brought it to attention. The date of onset with their diabetes was actually some unknown time in the remote past. Here's another quiz. What are the most common symptoms of a patient with early diabetic kidney disease? In early diabetic kidney disease, no symptoms are present. Part 3. What is the pathophysiology of diabetic kidney disease? Just as diabetes mellitus is a complex metabolic syndrome with many complications and presentations, diabetic kidney disease also can come in multiple varieties. Besides having diabetes mellitus, modifiable risk factors for DKD include higher glucose levels or hemoglobin A1C levels, hypertension, low socioeconomic status, probably reflecting less medical care, and obesity. Non-modifiable risk factors include advancing age, perhaps reflecting more years of having diabetes, sex, and family history. The mechanism of DKD is complex and is a mix of altered cellular biochemistry, increased glomerular pressures, inflammation, and fibrosis. These each contribute differently to different patients which is why some only have increased proteinuria, while others develop progressive renal failure. 
Now, let's discuss hyperfiltration and high glomerular pressure. Very early in DKD, activation of the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system leads to high GFR and high renal blood flow, termed hyperfiltration. Much of this comes from relative constriction of the efferent arterial, which carries blood away from the glomerulus. An increased GFR sounds like a good idea on the surface, but it has a big chronic downside. High intraglomerular pressure causes physical stress to the capillaries and the mesangium, eventually leading to fibrosis, or scarring, and decline of function, represented by a decreased GFR. The glomerulus also hypertrophies, giving rise to large kidneys seen in many patients with early diabetes. One reason angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors are also useful in diabetic kidney disease is that they reduce the glomerular hyperfiltration and elevated GFR, reducing the fibrosis and the glomerular hypertrophy. What role does non-enzymatic glycation play in the pathogenesis of DKD? Chronically increased blood sugar due to diabetes contributes to non-enzymatic glycosylation, or NEG, of blood vessels and tissues. NEG refers to sugar moieties chemically binding to extracellular matrix proteins and disrupting normal cellular functions, including within the renal glomeruli. Measuring hemoglobin A1c can help both diagnose and track the progression of diabetes. It is based on the degree of NEG of the hemoglobin molecule. In general, the more hemoglobin that is glycosylated, the more likely the patient is to develop complications. NEG leads to the formation of advanced glycation end products, or AGEs and occurs when circulating fats and proteins interact with high glucose levels in the diabetic environment. The AGEs may bind to specific receptors on multiple renal cells, aka RAGE or receptors for AGEs, leading to cytokine secretion, reactive oxidative species, increased inflammation, and structural changes. For example, increased levels of cytokine TGF-beta cause proliferation of the glomerular mesangial cells and expansion of the mesangial matrix. This gives rise to a nodular appearance of glomeruli in some patients with diabetic kidney disease. The increased cytokines also lead to hyperproliferation of blood vessels. This inflammatory process also damages renal tubules and leads to the influx of macrophages. Fibroblasts lay down abnormal collagen and fibronectin, leading to renal scarring. This correlates well with the fall in GFR that occurs in most patients with diabetic kidney disease. In addition, during this inflammatory process, proteinaceous material is deposited within the walls of the arterioles, which thickens the walls, reduces the capillary lumen size, and disrupts blood flow. The glassy appearance is due to the protein deposition. This is one aspect of the microvascular disease characteristic of DKD. This combined hypertrophy, inflammation, and hyperfiltration eventually leads to glomerular sclerosis, proteinuria due to damaged GBM, and declining GFR. These are hallmarks of most cases of advanced DKD. 
Next, let's discuss the histopathology associated with DKD. We don't follow the discussed sequential renal damage with clear histologic markers because we don't do renal biopsies very often, or at all in DKD, because the history is very typical and we treat the patient the same way no matter what we find. Glucose and hypertension control ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers, ARB. So, there is likely quite a bit of interpatient variation of which renal lesions occur at what time. For example, we now know that some patients can present initially with a decline in their GFR while exhibiting little or no proteinuria. Therefore, DKD is a syndrome, not a monolithic, uniform diagnosis. That said, histologically, the progression of DKD often follows a predictable pattern of change, at least in a subset of patients often identified in pathology textbooks. First, the glomerular basement membrane thickens. Next, the glomerular mesangial cells proliferate and lay down more matrix proteins so the surrounding mesangium begins to expand. This eventually leads to the formation of nodules known as Kimmel-Still-Wilson nodules. Just be aware that not all patients have these glomerular findings, and some may instead have mostly significant tubular and interstitial inflammation and scarring with mostly normal glomeruli. Because none of these changes impact treatment, there is no need to sort patients based on their histopathology, so renal biopsy is not currently an important part of management of DKD. Let's try another quiz. What pathognomonic histologic finding is seen in advanced diabetic kidney disease? Kimmel-Steele-Wilson nodules are seen in advanced diabetic kidney disease. Part 4. How do we diagnose diabetic kidney disease? If there is regular diabetic care, most patients will have diabetic kidney disease detected first on routine lab screening. What role does albuminuria play in the diagnosis of DKD? In most patients with DKD, the first sign of disease is the presence of consistent increased urine albumin excretion of greater than 30 mg albumin per 24 hours. The albuminuria is detected using either a 24-hour urine collection, which is cumbersome, or a spot specimen that measures urine albumin and creatinine concentrations, the albumin-creatinine ratio, or ACR. The ratio of these approximates the results of a 24-hour collection, so it is now the test done most often. To calculate the ACR, divide the spot urine albumin concentration in milligrams per deciliter by the urine creatinine concentration, grams per deciliter, then multiply by 1,000. Abnormal albuminuria is anything over 30 milligrams per gram, conveniently the same abnormal number we saw with the 24-hour collection. The albumin-creatinine ratio should be checked yearly in all patients with diabetes to screen for early DKD. Note, that the urine dipstick is not a substitute for these tests. It is too insensitive to pick up microalbuminuria. If DKD has progressed, 
the ACR can exceed 300 milligrams per gram and may continue to increase to levels greater than 3,500 milligrams per gram, nephrotic range proteinuria. It is critical to diagnose DKD in the earliest stage because it can often be reversed at this point by using ACE inhibitors and improving glucose control. An ACR of greater than 300 milligrams per gram carries a far worse prognosis. What happens to glomerular filtration rate in patients with DKD? Some patients with DKD develop a decreased GFR even before they develop abnormal albuminuria. The serum creatinine should be measured during the evaluation and then used to calculate the estimated GFR or the eGFR. An eGFR of less than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared for greater than three months is abnormally low. And in the setting of diabetes mellitus without other evident causes of chronic kidney disease, most likely means DKD regardless of the level of urine albumin. Note that this is different from the traditional teaching which said that the EGFR did not fall in this condition until after proteinuria increased. We now know that patients with biopsy-proven DKD can have normal urine albumin excretion. What other tests might be helpful in the care of patients living with DKD? Because patients with DKD are at risk for hyperkalemia and type 4 renal tubular acidosis, serum electrolytes should be drawn regularly. Important routine diabetic care includes regular measurement of fasting blood glucose and hemoglobin A1C levels, as well as serum lipid panels. What role does renal biopsy play in the diagnosis of DKD? Unlike most glomerular diseases, renal biopsy is not needed to establish the diagnosis because the clinical pattern is classic. Since biopsies only rarely show other diseases, they are reserved for atypical cases. For example, patients with diabetes who present with sudden edema and heavy proteinuria. Here's another quiz. When is a renal biopsy done in suspected diabetic kidney disease? A renal biopsy is done only when there are atypical clinical features that make another glomerular disease more likely. Part 5. How do we manage diabetic kidney disease? It is important to slow or prevent the progression of DKD. Glucose control, hypertension control, and the use of an ACE inhibitor can help with this. The central pathology of DKD is increased blood sugar, so excellent glycemic control is crucial for preventing NEG and slowing progression of disease in patients with diagnosed DKD. Because NEG only occurs when there are excessive amounts of sugar in the bloodstream, a medication regimen should be tailored to keep blood sugars within the normal range, 70 to 100 milligrams per deciliter. Most patients with diabetes should target a hemoglobin A1C of less than 7%. The sodium glucose co-transporter 2 or SGLT2 inhibitors, empagliflozin, canagliflozin, and apagliflozin are drugs used for antihyperglycemic control in type 2 diabetes. 
But separate from the effect to lower the serum glucose, they also improve cardiovascular and renal outcomes in patients with diabetic kidney disease, lowering the rates of heart failure hospitalization due to kidney disease progression. They should be started in all patients with DKD, decreased GFR and or urine albumin to creatinine ratio greater than 30 mg per gram. STLT2 inhibitors seem to be most helpful for those with heavy proteinuria. However, they should be used with caution in patients with severely reduced GFR, less than 30 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared, since here they are less efficacious and may have increased adverse effects. In DKD, the blood pressure target is less than 130 systolic and less than 80 millimeters per mercury diastolic. Hypertension and diabetes act synergistically to accelerate nephropathy because hypertension also causes hyaline arteriosclerosis. That is why it is especially important to treat hypertension in people with diabetes. The best choice of antihypertensive medication in DKD is an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. These medications lead to vasodilation of the efferent arterial, which reduces the extent of hyperfiltration injury, lowers proteinuria, and slows the progression of the disease. Care should be taken to avoid hyperkalemia in patients taking these drugs. If this happens, you can add a diuretic to increase potassium excretion or put the patient on a low-potassium diet. As the patient's EGFR drops below 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared, they will gradually fall risk to the usual consequences of advanced chronic kidney disease. For example, hyperphosphatemia, anemia, metabolic bone disease, and hyperkalemia. Many of these complications are worsened in diabetic environment, so close follow-up is needed. Referral to nephrology consultation should be done when the EGFR falls below 30 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared or when the ACR exceeds 300 milligrams per gram. This will allow good management of chronic kidney disease and preparation for renal replacement therapy. So what is the prognosis of DKD? Despite optimal treatment, some patients progress to end-stage kidney disease that requires dialysis or kidney transplantation. Prognosis is generally poor at this stage. The average life expectancy once on dialysis is only five years for patients with DKD. Death is usually from cardiovascular disease like myocardial infarction. If the patient instead receives a renal transplant, the lifespan is 8 to 18 years. But much of this beneficial effect is explained by healthier patients being referred for transplantation. Let's stop for one last quiz. What is the target blood pressure in patients with diabetic kidney disease? The target is set to a systolic BP less than 130 millimeters per mercury and a diastolic BP less than 80 millimeters per mercury. And that brings us to the end of our discussion on diabetic kidney disease. Now, let's recap to see if we've completed our goals. First, can you define diabetic kidney disease and the epidemiology associated with it? 
DKD is a microvascular complication of diabetes that presents as progressive chronic kidney disease seen in patients with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes mellitus. It affects about 25 to 30 percent of patients with diabetes mellitus and about 2 to 3 percent of the general population. It is the most common cause of chronic kidney disease in the U.S. Next, can you describe the presenting symptoms of a patient with early DKD? There are usually no symptoms in early DKD, but as patients progress through the stages of CKD to end-stage kidney disease, they can exhibit symptoms consistent with uremia, like itching, confusion, fatigue, and anorexia. Next, are you able to explain the effects of non-enzymatic glycosylation as part of the pathogenesis of DKD? NEG leads to the formation of advanced glycation end products and occurs when circulating fats or proteins interact with high glucose levels in the blood. The AGEs may bind to specific receptors on multiple renal cells, leading to cytokine secretion, reactive oxidative species, increased inflammation, and structural changes. Next, are you able to diagnose DKD? The first sign of DKD is the presence of consistent increased urine albumin excretion of greater than 30 mg albumin per 24 hours. Patients may also present with a decrease in GFR less than 60 milliliters per minute. Although very rarely performed, a renal biopsy would show glomerular basement membrane thickening, mesangial cell proliferation, and eventual nodules known as Kimmel-Steele-Wilson nodules. And finally, are you able to outline the management of DKD? First, glycemic control is a cornerstone for the slowing of progression of DKD with agents like an SGLT2 inhibitor. Next, blood pressure less than 130 over 80 millimeters per mercury with an ACE inhibitor or an ARB. And finally, Manage the complications of advancing CKD such as hyperphosphatemia, anemia, metabolic bone disease, and hyperkalemia. And that's it. Armed with your newfound knowledge on diabetic kidney disease, let's get back to the patient from the beginning of this episode. You are caring for a 49-year-old man with poorly controlled type 2 diabetes, elevated blood pressure, and elevated albuminuria. How do you explain the importance of controlling his blood sugar? You recognize that your patient has poor diabetic control and diabetic renal disease based on his elevated urine albumin to creatinine ratio. You explain to your patient that poor blood pressure and diabetic control are affecting his kidney function, but with better control and added medication, further damage can be prevented. You stress the importance of taking medications as prescribed, and you prescribe an ACE inhibitor and an SGLT2 inhibitor. At the one-month follow-up visit, your patient reports that his daily blood sugar measurements are now in normal range, and his blood pressure is 118 over 72 millimeters per mercury. 
And that's it for our show. Make sure you like and subscribe if you like what you hear. And remember, your feedback helps us to improve. You can enjoy the full Brick experience online at www.usmole-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. So go check that out if you haven't already. Until next time.